I'm Max Kreitzer, and you're listening to The Story Of. This is the story of the first time I felt betrayed. In third grade at Howard Wilson Elementary School, I was in a very special class led by a teacher who we all adored, Mrs. Nicholson. Mrs. Nicholson was everything you'd want in a teacher. She was fair, creative, funny, and she respected us as much as we respected her. When Mrs. Nicholson was young, she had an unusual amount of ear infections that led to an extreme aversion to cotton balls. From what information we could gather, her parents over-advocated the use of cotton balls in her ears to prevent such infections. Like, anytime she went swimming, she would have to stuff cotton balls in her ears. She told us on numerous occasions how much she hated the texture, the feel, even the smell of cotton balls, if there is such a thing. The entire class knew of her hatred of cotton balls, but only I knew of her love for a very specific candy bar. Nutrage's bars were a new product from Reese's. She would never eat them in front of us because she lived her life with a sense of fairness, but I would see wrappers in her trash can. I was the first to class on her birthday. I greeted her at the door and rushed inside and hurriedly unzipped my backpack. When she was distracted greeting the other students who were bringing her handmade construction paper cards, I tossed a plastic Ziploc baggie on her desk and rushed to my seat as if I had been sitting there all along. When she finally came to her desk, she looked down and paused. Who put this here? She said, picking up the bag carefully and examining it at an arm's distance. She twirled the bag slowly and the entire class saw that she was holding a bag stuffed with cotton balls and a nutrageous candy bar inside. Mrs. Nicholson put on a show of slowly unzipping the bag, trying to shimmy the candy bar out without touching any cotton, decrying over our laughter her hatred of all things cotton. She finally chopsticked the candy bar out using two pencils and slid the baggie into her trash with a shutter. Who did this? She asked again, laughing, not wanting to give myself away, but also wanting to take credit. I called out my practice line. It's king-sized for a queen. She thanked us and placed the nutrageous bar in her desk drawer instead of eating it in front of us because she lived her life with a sense of fairness. Mrs. Nicholson kept a glass jar on her desk and a bag of marbles in her drawer. Anytime we would line up silently without asking or be particularly good in class, Mrs. Nicholson would quietly hold up how many marbles would be placed in the jar. Oftentimes she would hold up one finger, sometimes two, and very rarely three. Once the jar was full, Mr. Nicholson would bring us in pizzas for a pizza party. In one month, we were so trained, we were awarded two pizza parties. Mrs. Nicholson lamented to us that every time she held her fingers up, she could feel her purse getting lighter, meaning the pizza parties were getting expensive. From then on, every time she would hold a finger up, I would wait for the perfect moment and then say, cha-ching. Mrs. Nicholson was loved by all her students, but she and I had a special bond. During lunch, we were under the supervision of Mr. Burton. After lunch, he would choose what tables were behaving the best and dismiss them first to recess. If you were a bad table, he could hold you longer, shortening precious outside time. There was a new trend in the lunchroom called milk bombing. You would inflate, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but others would in inflate an empty milk carton, place it on the floor, and stomp on it so it would make a loud noise. A few days of this had visibly rattled Mr. Burton. He was disheveled and frantic, holding entire tables inside where he thought the explosions were coming from, though it was impossible to pinpoint. I'm not sure if he had military experience, but Mr. Burton gave special deference to those of us who were in the Boy Scouts, and he certainly emulated a military level of discipline in the lunchroom. If he was in the military, he was at the age that he would have probably served in Vietnam. The random explosions would be annoying to anyone, but looking back, it may have been worse for him. During the height of the milk bombing campaign, my table was unjustly being held for a milk bombing we didn't commit. I remember Mrs. Nicholson walked by in the hall and saw me sitting with my head down. She turned into the lunchroom and marched right up to Mr. Burton. 
Why aren't they outside yet? Recess is almost over, Mrs. Nicholson said. These boys were milk bombing, Mr. Burton said, pointing directly at me. Mrs. Nicholson walked over to me, picked up my empty milk carton that was still intact on my tray, and shook it at him. Not this one, she said, gently pulling me up by my elbow and ushering me a protected exit to the outside. It was this level of trust we shared that led me to a gross overstep that would soon place our sacred bond in jeopardy. It was the first nice day of spring after a long winter of indoor recesses. Of course, we were all excited and unusually out of control, and in a rare display of frustration, Mrs. Nicholson yelled out during group projects, I don't know what's going on, but no one can hear anything I say today. The class got quiet, not used to Mrs. Nicholson raising her voice. I waited until silence washed over the room, and not knowing to this day what got into me, I cut my ear towards her and said, What was that? There was no laughter. Mrs. Nicholson raised her eyebrows and tilted her head before responding. Sounds like I just said five minutes on the wall for recess. She turned to the board and wrote my name under the five minutes on the wall section with the other common offenders. My name on that board meant I would have to sit on the wall for the first five minutes of recess. Though I was in shock, I didn't panic. Oftentimes names would go up on the board early in the morning, but if you were good, she would erase your name before the recess bell. As the clock on the wall ticked towards 10.15, I stared at my own name on the board. I waited and stared and waited. I contemplated going to the board and answering a math problem and then quickly erasing my own name myself, but there are too many fucking witnesses. 10.08, 10.10, 10.14. The bell rang for recess, but my name remained. As we marched down the hall towards the double doors, my mind raced with questions. Where do I sit? Do I sit Indian style? How will I know when five minutes are up? Can I still join the soccer game afterwards? I hung back as the good kids raced towards their freedom. I hung back as the guilty walked towards their one-walled cell. I couldn't make my feet past the threshold. Mrs. Nicholson noticed I was still inside. She turned to me. Come on, Max. I swallowed hard, fighting to steady my voice. Do I... I have to... So do I have to sit Indian style then, I guess? Mrs. Nicholson looked confused. Then realization washed over her face. In a hushed voice, she said, I forgot. Relief drowned my despair. I started walking out to join the other free children, and she stopped me. Max, she said in a hushed tone, you have to sit on the wall for a little bit. Had our entire relationship been a sham? All the laughs, all the good times, all the A++ smiley face stickers and good jobs, had they all been bullshit? And this? This is what was true? I steeled myself. Okay, I said. I held my head up and walked over to the wall. I sat down by Matt Fritchin and the others. They were just as shocked as I was, but they didn't say anything to me. Because there's no talking on the wall. I stared with empty eyes at the laughing, playing elite who knew nothing of the great injustice that was happening a few feet from them. What if we needed food? Water? What if I had to go to the bathroom suddenly? After what seemed like a few days, Mrs. Nicholson caught my eyes. She pointed to her watch and mouthed the word, Almost. But I pretended not to see. I acted like something interesting was happening just behind her, and then slowly turned my head away. She came over to release us. The others sprinted off towards the tetherball line. I slowly stood up. I took a few seconds to brush the crumbling brick dust from my clothes. I straightened my shirt. I looked over to the soccer field, and not wanting to have to explain to them why I was late, 
I made my way towards the tetherball line instead, with the other ex-cons. Mrs. Nicholson gave us all 15 extra minutes outside that day. When we finally were called to line up, I lined up in the back instead of the usual front, no longer knowing my place in the world. Nice lineup, guys, Mrs. Nicholson said, holding up three fingers. She looked at me with her fingers still raised. She waved her fingers around, spreading them with enthusiasm, nodding towards me. Slowly, reluctantly, I took my cue. Cha-ching, I said, a smile spreading over my face. This episode was brought to you by Actual Stamps. Actual Stamps. Go outside of your house and buy some real stamps and talk to people. You don't have to do everything online. Actual Stamps in the store, not not.com.